Peace to all of you and love with faith from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 34 by David. When he pretended to be insane in the presence of Abimelech who drove him away and David left. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be in my mouth. In the Lord my soul will boast. The humble will hear and rejoice. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. From all my terrors he delivered me. His people look to him and are radiant and their faces will never blush. This poor man called and the Lord heard. From all his distress the Lord saved him. The angel of the Lord camps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is everyone who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, since those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions may lack food and be hungry, but those who seek the Lord do not lack any good thing. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who wants to find pleasure in life? Who would love to experience many good days? Guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord watch over the righteous. His ears listen to their cry. The face of the Lord is set against those who do evil to cut off memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears. From all their distress, he delivers them. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those whose spirits have been crushed. Many are the troubles of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He watches over all his bones, and not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be found guilty. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants. Anyone who takes refuge in him will not be found guilty. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it had become clear Saul was not a king after God's heart. And he sent Samuel ultimately to anoint that young boy, roughly age 14, David. David was to be king. Only David, his father, Samuel, and in the town of Bethlehem knew it. Eventually, the Philistines come as they often did to harass, and this time they brought a giant, Goliath. And Goliath spoke blasphemy against the Israelites and their God. And David, unafraid, he said, with the sling he'd killed bears and lions, he was ready to go after this giant of a man. And the Lord blessed him, and Goliath was killed. He ends up in Saul's household, buried to Saul's daughter. He ends up a general, and a general who often drives the Philistines right out of the promised land along with other enemies. Then Saul figures out that David's going to be his replacement. Saul goes off the deep end and tries to kill David. David flees for his life with some friends and he has nothing. In our psalm when he mentions, it calls himself this poor man. He wasn't kidding. All he had was the shirt on his back. And when he gets to, it's kind of the trailer park days of the temple. It's no longer the portable tabernacle, but it's not a permanent structure either. And he actually ends up having to take the bread that was for the temple to feed himself and his men. And the only sword he has is the sword of Goliath. Then he foolishly ends up right in Goliath's hometown with Achish, also here today called Abimelech there. And David realizes his life's in trouble. 
God had promised that David was going to be king, and now it looks like either Saul's going to kill him or Abimelech and the people of Goliath's hometown are going to kill him. Yet throughout this psalm, David talks about magnifying. That would be to lift up and say, praise the name of the Lord for everything he has done. Invites us to do it. Why would you do that when it seems like everybody's trying to kill you? Today, we'll ask the question, why do you and how do you magnify God's name? That's really two questions. So let's get to the first one. Why do you magnify God's name? Allow me to preach on my Hebrew translation. It's not as smooth as our English translation, but there's some subtle nuances I want to bring out. In verse 2, David says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. David didn't make his bragging, Look at me, I can take down the giant Goliath. He said, No, it's by the Lord's help. I can take down Abimelech. Uh uh-uh, uh, no, he trusted in the Lord. And then he says in verse 2, literally, the humbled, not those who humble themselves. But the humbled keep on hearing and they keep on rejoicing. David is talking about believers. What makes a believer humbled? It's not ourselves. It's God. In the New Testament, we'll talk about this as crosses. Just like David had to flee for his life, even though God had promised he would be king. The crosses in our lives serve a purpose. God uses them to humble us. Just as the law crushes us and tells us we cannot earn our salvation for we are sinners. So when we know our Savior, God allows crosses to come in our lives to remind us physically we're dependent on God and spiritually we are absolutely dependent on God. We cannot earn salvation by ourselves. So right away we see one of the reasons why we can magnify, lift up and extol the name of God Even when we're bearing crosses, because God is humbling us. So why do you magnify God's name? His crosses always have a purpose for you. They're always for your good. Now David gets right to the cross he was bearing at this time as he looks back at the end result. At verse 5 he says, I sought out the Lord in supplication and he answered me. It's very interesting. The Hebrew word isn't just seeking God like you're playing hide and go seek with somebody. It's seeking out God in prayer. Lord, where are you? Please deliver me. And what does he say? He answered me and from all my terrors, he delivered me. Then he turns around and gives you a promise. He says, they look to him and are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Just as God heard David's prayer and answered him by always trusting in God, God is promising you that you will never be ashamed for doing it. The answer to your prayer might not come as quickly as you would like. It took a while, but God was working for David's best. David says, hang in there. You won't be put to shame. And so he says, this poor man called and the Lord heard. And from all his distress, he saved him. Remember in our first lesson in Exodus chapter 6, God says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew him as God Almighty, but by that name, the Lord, they didn't know him. That name literally means being. It emphasizes that God is absolutely faithful. And so here, God is absolutely faithful to his promise to David. He heard his prayer and he saved him. So why would David magnify God's name? Because he answered David's prayer. He spiritually saved him, but he even saved him from his distresses in this life. 
So David now applies this to you. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. I could preach an entire sermon on this verse. The angel of the Lord, the Hebrew term, Malach Adonai. Malach is literally messenger. So this could be a man like Nathan the prophet, whom God will later send to David when David commits adultery and then murder to cover it up. This can also be a spiritual being where Jesus said, for example, that he could call on legions of angels to deliver him. What comfort that is for you. We know this can't be a man because he can't surround the camp of the whole church of believers, right? So it can be an angel and that's comfort. God sends his angels to protect those who are in his church. But that messenger of the Lord can also be in the Old Testament times, the pre-incarnate Christ. For Christ died for your sins and then he rose, he's ascended, and he's ruling over all time and creation for you. People aren't sure if this is an angel or if this is Christ. Either one should be tremendous comfort for you. And I'm comfortable saying it's both. For God uses the angels to protect you and he himself protects you. And he says he encamps around those who the Hebrew word literally is fear. But we can misunderstand that. When I was a kid, if I screwed up with something, I could fear the discipline that would come from my dad or even his frustration. What did you do? Why did you do this? Oh, a spanking's coming. A Christian, though, looks at God and sees all that power that he could have used to crush us because he made this creation. He rules over it. And like a child who loves his father and respects him, we stand in reverent awe because instead of crushing us, God used his power to put all of your and my sins on his shoulders and he defeated them. An eternity's worth of hell and literally three hours time on the cross for us. So we stand in reverent awe. We'll get a little bit more into that in a minute. But God rescues you. And so David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then he says the Hebrew literally is plural blessednesses. That's bad English. There's many nuances of blessings in the life of a believer. So, oh, the states of blessedness for the man. And the Hebrew word here is a man in the prime of his life that keeps on seeking refuge in God. When you're a child and you're afraid of the bump in the night, you're quickly able to, to pray to the Lord and call upon him. When you're much older and, and you start seeing the bills coming in and it feels like the, the life's falling apart, it's pretty easy to call upon the Lord. But it's easy for a young person in the prime of their life to forget to rely on the Lord. For if things go bad, maybe they just have the health to work overtime, right? But for a person who even in the prime of their life, when it's the easiest to forget they need the Lord, both physically and always spiritually, for the person who calls on the name of the Lord, there's a blessing in knowing God provides everything now and always will. And so David continues that not only is that person who seeks refuge in God, even in the prime of his life, seeing many different blessings, he says, fear the Lord, you saints. That means not just be afraid, you know, because of his law, but also to stand in reverent awe like a child who respects mommy and daddy and loves them. He says, because there's no poverty for those who fear him. Hebrew literally is a lack. Now, certainly Jesus told the story of Lazarus and the rich man, and Lazarus lacked things, didn't he? The Lord made sure that he had food every day right up until the time that he was going to call him. Maybe he didn't get to gorge himself. 
You don't lack forgiveness. You don't lack companionship. God is there to take care of you physically and spiritually right up until the time he calls you home. And so he says, young lions suffer scarcity and hunger, yet those who search out the Lord in supplication do not continue lacking any good thing. And there again, that word young lions, they're the ones that are able to run the fastest, but there are times the prey's not there. They might have to go without, and it might seem like you're going out, but... Those who search out the Lord in prayer, Lord, feels like things are getting worse. The family finances are getting tight. The health isn't so good. Those who seek out the Lord in prayer will find out that they're never truly lacking. If God does withhold their daily bread, it's because he's going to call them to heaven. So ultimately here, as we look and ask that question, why do you magnify God's name? We've seen it's because his crosses have a purpose, therefore you're good. And one of those is is humbling us to trust in him. We see that he answered David's prayers, but that he answers your prayers. And clearly, you cannot even hold the Lord in that reverent awe unless you know that he has saved you, that his Holy Spirit has entered your heart and has connected you to Christ, your Savior. And so the answer to the question, why do you magnify God's name? Because he delivers you. He has saved you and he promises to hear and answer your prayers. So now we've got to get to our second question. How do you magnify God's name? David says at verse 11, Come, O sons, listen to me. I am determined to teach you guys fear for the Lord or that reverent awe. And what does he turn to in teaching us how we show that respect and awe for the Lord? He says, who is the man who takes pleasures in life's various not nuances, loving days of seeing good? Literally, the Hebrew just says, who is the man who takes pleasure in life's, plural, lives? Again, he's looking at the various nuances. You have different nuances in your life. I can, for example, say there was a time when I was a student and a son, and that was about most of my callings. Now I'm a father, an uncle, a godfather, a pastor. There's various callings God has placed us in in our lives And when we take pleasure in those, this is how you magnify God's name. David tells us in verse 13, watchfully guard your tongue and your lips from speaking deceit. David feigned insanity. He quit trusting in God's deliverance before Abimelech. But you know, today we especially live in a time where people really don't know or believe that there is truth. Now, even Pilate asked that of Jesus, what is truth? But we're confused again. When I was a student, especially an engineering student, I was taught the scientific method as objective fact. But today you can turn on the news and you can hear stuff that's bad science being taught and and embraced by everybody. If you are not known as being honest, if people see you as somebody who's quick to tell a fib, do you think they're going to turn and trust in you when you tell them, You need a savior and you have a savior. So this is one of the commandments. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. David just says, don't be a deceitful person. Be known as an honest person. And that honesty comes from having a new person in your heart. And the world will know to turn to you when it needs help. And so he says, turn away from evil and do good. Earnestly seek peace and pursue it. It's tempting in this world, isn't it? Oftentimes it seems like the guy who cheats and lies and the guy who does the wrong things, it seems like he gets away with it. David says, 
Don't let the world and the devil fool you. Seek good. And how do you know what good is? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments don't save you, but when you are connected to Christ, you wonder, what are the fruits of my faith? What is a good work? How can I thank God? And God says, look again to those Ten Commandments. Seek good. They tell you what's good. So we don't do this in order to be saved. We do this because we are saved. And he says, earnestly seek peace and pursue it. You have peace with God. He has removed your sin and your guilt. And now you can live at peace with your fellow man. There are times your fellow man won't let you be at peace. So you don't pursue peace at the expense of God's word. But you've been supernaturally empowered. And it never ceases to amaze me how often in your lives, your neighbors and friends say, wow, you just had this terrible disease, this sickness, or you went through this hardship, and yet you seem so at peace at it. Why? And then you can tell them, my God gave me that peace because I know he has me in his hands because he answers my prayers. And so we're told the eyes of the Lord look to those who are righteous and his ears to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil in order to bring about the cutting off of their memory from the earth. What do we remember about evil people? The swindlers in a town and the liars, they're forgotten by the next generation. And people like Hitler and Stalin, etc. Ultimately, what they're remembered for is for being rotten people, right? We may be tempted to say, oh, it's easier to do the evil. It's not so easy to struggle to conform to the law simply out of thanks for God. That's the reward is just getting to praise God because you're already saved. But David says, don't let that devil's lie fool you. The Lord's against those who do evil. He even wipes their memory out. So how do you magnify God's name? Live in reverence to God. This is another way of saying live a life of sanctification. Use the law as a guide because you are already saved. Then David begins the second reason. He says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears. He brings about their deliverance from all their distresses. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And time and time again, he saves those who are crushed in spirit. One of the Hebrew words used in our text for distress is like in the action adventure movies where the guy finds himself where the walls are closing in and they're going to crush him. It's getting narrower and narrower and he doesn't have the strength. He's going to feel his bones crushed. God's the one who reverses that. And again, we cover crushed in spirit. One of the greatest things we get out of it when God crushes us in spirit, that's the law saying you can't save yourself. We live in Wyoming where men are supposed to be rugged and individualistic. It's very hard on our egos to find out, even providing for my family's physical needs, I need God. But when we're crushed in spirit, we recognize God saves us. He kept the law for us. He's ruling over creation for us. And so David confesses, many are the miseries of the righteous person, but the Lord takes him away from them all. When the miseries come upon you, God has a purpose for it. And as soon as they've served his purpose, God removes them or removes you from those circumstances. And so David gives that promise. The Lord keeps watch over all his bones and none of them are broken. Of course, we know that it was prophesied that none of Christ's bones would be broken. And we know Christians actually get broken bones. What's David saying here? David here is saying, God is watching over you. He's not going to let this harm come upon you unless it's actually for your good. 
Ah, but once again, we can be tempted to say the unbeliever, the wicked person, that person who embraces their sin, they seem to have the good life. So David says, time and time again, evil slays the wicked. In his large catechism on the commandment, thou shalt not steal, Luther says, God uses one thief to punish another. Heathens accidentally call this karma. It comes around, goes around. God says, uh uh-uh. Those who embrace evil, God will use evil to, to discipline them and to crush them. But he says, and time and time again, those who hate the righteous person suffer for their guilt. People may come after you, especially in the age of political correctness. Telling somebody they have sins that damn them to hell is not politically correct. And even in America, you can lose your job. You can have the whole world show up and want to burn your house down right now. God says, don't kid yourself. They won't get away with it. I will hold them guilty. If they continue rejecting me, they will burn in hell. And God even disciplines them in this life so that they learn better. But here is the ultimate reason why we magnify the name of the Lord and how we magnify the name of the Lord. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants. And those who seek refuge in him will never suffer for their guilt. Christ suffered for your guilt. Yes, God disciplines us, but Christ took the guilt, which is an eternity in hell, away from you because he did that in three hours' time on the cross. And in the meantime, he did that also to purchase you. Your soul belongs to God. He owns you. He sent his Holy Spirit into your heart, giving you the faith you're connected to Christ. So how do you magnify God's name? By trusting in God, especially for your salvation, not going, I do my best and God does the rest, not saying I do 5% and God does 95%, trusting that God has done 100% of the work to save your soul and is 100% working for you in this life for you. That's how you magnify God's name. And that's why then you use the law to return thanks to God. So how and why do you magnify God's name? You magnify God's name because he has saved you and he hears and answers your prayers according to what is best for you. So how do you then do that? Well, you know you're delivered, so you trust in him and then you let that trust be seen in your daily life. Amen. Let us conclude our sermon with prayer. O God, you command us not to take your name in vain. May we so fear and love you that we do not use your name to curse, swear, practice superstition, lie, or deceive, but lead us to call upon you in every trouble and to always pray, praise, and give thanks to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven 
and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, we praise you for the countless blessings which we receive from your hand, the beauties of creation and the bounties of the earth, the joy of life and the pleasure of friendship, the good of work and the gift of rest, the privilege to share happiness and sorrow with one another. Above all, we praise and thank you for your saving word and for your son's body and blood, which you give us to eat and drink in the sacrament. Through these means of grace, you send the Holy Spirit into our hearts and unite us to Jesus and the whole Christian church on earth. Strengthen us through this heavenly food, increase our trust in Christ and our love for one another. Great God and Lord, without your continuing help, we easily waver in our faith, lose courage and grow careless in our watchfulness. The times and days are perilous. Give us strength to face the evils of each day with fresh confidence. Open our lips to speak of your grace and move us to use the gifts that you give us to share your word of salvation with all people. Protect and prosper the family, the school, the government, and all good institutions that you have established for the benefit of society. Remember in mercy those who are sick and suffering and bring your healing to troubled homes and lives. Move us to pray for those in need and to help them with deeds of kindness. Heavenly Father, as we celebrate the contributions that workers have made to the strength, prosperity, laws, and well-being of our country during the Labor Day holiday, we ask you to keep our celebrations from being humanistic and self-glorifying. Let us see that all labor and work are a gift from you. Help those who feel entitled to things that they neither earned nor were given to see their folly and be grateful for their daily bread. Gracious Lord, as we continue to live in a society in which COVID-19 is running amok, we thank you for the protection you have given to our flock, and we ask you to continue protecting us from this virus as we gather in your name to magnify and extol your name. Gracious Lord, we also, as our state has been so dry and there's been so many fires, we thank you for the coming rain and precipitation we are supposed to receive Monday and Tuesday and ask you to use those to put out those fires. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Now, eternal God and Father, keep us in the saving faith and so enable us to overcome all things through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 
Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Amen.